Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast, where we discuss the art, science, and application of high-performance strength and conditioning. Join Mike Perry and Brett Jones as they share invaluable experiences as veteran strength coaches, lecturers, and educators. Welcome to Season 4 of the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Brett. He's in Pittsburgh, as usual, and uh, I am I'm out in good old Chelmsford, Mass, rocking an incredible mustache that Brett was making fun of me for, and uh, I think it's he's weird. just jealous. It is. It it's is weird. And, and it, it, made, it made you uncomfortable, and the whole goal of my mustache is to make people uncomfortable. Well, so, it's pure jealousy on my part because I apparently don't have the face hair gene or hair gene at all. <laughs> um, you know, usually like people that go bald can grow beards. Like once I, once my hair is gone, it's gone. There's there's no other place to grow it. Um, so anyway, that's all that's right. Enough. That's all right. I mean, at some point I will delve <clears throat> into the to the true roots of my mustache, both, you know, from from growing up and uh, from life experiences. But uh, if you know me, you know the story and it's, it's, it's pretty damn entertaining. Um, but anywho, uh, so we're not talking about mustaches today. We're going to be talking about tendons. Woo. I'm a big fan of tendons. Um, and, and honestly, here's why we're going to talk about this because I said to Brett, Hey, I want to do some talk on, you know, do a talk on elasticity and training. And as I start to dig into elasticity and how tendons work, you know, all that stuff, um, you know, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. So he said, well, yeah, well, we should talk about tendinopathy as well. And you know, the way that tendons rehab and, and, you know, where that's going as well. So we're going to talk about tendons, Brett question for you. Answer for you. What is a tendon? So Broad strokes, tendons are what attach muscles to bone. So a muscle will become a tendon. That tendon will attach uh, to the bone. And um, that is how we exert force, use our internal leverage system, create movement uh, in everything that we do is uh, tugging on those. There's a lot of people that include the fascial system uh, in there. Um, So, you know, there's only... um, what, 600 some muscles uh, in the body, uh, which would give us like 1200 tendons, but I've seen statistics of like five or 6,000 tendons in the body. So they're obviously including uh, a lot more than just the bicep, uh, long tendon, short tendon and attachment down the, uh, on the ulna. So um, I think, uh, but broad strokes, what muscle becomes tendon, tendon attaches to bone. It gives us this area of uh, uh, rigidity uh, allows for better force transfer when we produce c- contraction, things of that nature. My boy's wicked smart. I got a number. <laughs> Anyways, so that's why I had you do it because I would have been like, it's kind of like a band that attaches to a stick and it moves. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, you know, one of the things uh, I've been digging into, and, and we're going to talk about this um, from a performance standpoint, um, is, is obviously a doing elasticity training and trying to get more out of the tendons, right? But before we do, we have to sort of pump the brakes. The body works in concert and the body works in movements. So if you just think you're doing only tendon work, you're doing tendon work, you're doing ligament work, you're doing muscle work, you're doing fascial work, you're doing nerve work. 
it doesn't matter. So it's all movement and you can't differentiate. But what we can do is we can bias the way that we set up our training in a way that will hopefully allow the adaptations to be what we're asking, right? So from an uh, elasticity standpoint and from a attendance standpoint, uh, there's, there's several different ways to do that, right? So, but one of the things that uh, really sort of jumped out to me was when I was looking at performance training and I was really sort of looking for the main differentiation of tendons and muscles besides the obvious stuff is tendons are just faster. They, um, they are simply just faster and they can absorb energy and uh, recreate that energy much faster than, uh, your muscles can, right? It's basically just a, just a faster system in general. And when they're moving together in concert, that's when you can really optimize performance. So it was one of those things where I was like, wow, that, that makes a ton of sense because like, if you think of the idea of like doing a calf raise, and if you just did a standing calf raise, you know, if you're pretty strong and you popped up as quick as you could, you'd you probably wouldn't get off the ground, but maybe you would, right? Who knows? But if you start bouncing, right, and you start springing off your calves, it's very, very easy to utilize the tendons and the stretch reflex. So that's a perfect example of strength of the muscle, right? And we can even pre-stretch that that you know posterior calf and, and everything else, and we can do a really quick toe raise, but we're still not utilizing the tendons as we could simply because we're not using the elasticity component of the tendons. And that's kind of a very, very simple way to look at uh, function um, of a tendon or a movement that's utilizing tendons and a similar movement that's not utilizing the the pure elasticity of the tendons. Hopefully that made sense. Did it? I think so. Um, okay. <laughs> let me think about it for a second. Uh, well, and the, the other thing to keep in mind, um, the tendon is, um, so muscles contract, they shorten, they lengthen. Tendons are um, tendons. So they, they don't, contract the Golgi tendon organ and uh, things like that inform the body as to its length and when it's under stress. And those are the things we're taking advantage of when we get into that stretch shortening cycle. So it's like having this, um, it's it's not a, um, I'm trying to think of struggling for my analogy here. It's it's not the rubber band that we can pull, but it's the spring that attached, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's the spring that we can pull on and get a, a really good response from. And mm -hmm. so that's what you're referring to as far as, you know, you can do exercises. Tendons always involved, right? If we're producing movement or contracting a muscle, the tendon's getting tugged on. But when we create that stretch and um, get that Golgi tendon response and, and get that um, tendon involved, um, we we store and release energy in a, in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And it's just faster. And it's in, and, and the reason why it's important because a lot of, tr a lot of people will end up training the, the power or the strength component of speed, but they don't train the elasticity of, you know, of the, uh, sort of the backside, the Achilles, the calf and everything on that backside, which when you're looking at how much force is getting put through the ground when sprinting and, and what, anywhere four to six times body weight, right through. And if you look at a, a pure sprinter, that's on the ball of their foot, think about four to six times body weight through the ball of the foot, right? You have to have very, very strong, fast, durable, elastic tendons to put that much force into the ground and not make it explode. And that is why you'll see elite athletes, athletes that put a lot of force into the ground, doing so much springy work and bounding because yes, it's going to help them with their performance, but from a longevity standpoint, it's going to keep those tendons super, super healthy. I mean, I know I can count on one hand, three or four coaches that I know that have gone out, 
strength coaches, really, really smart guys that have gone out and popped their Achilles just sprinting. And, and look, it's, it's, it is what it is. Those things happen. I'm not blaming on them. I'm not blaming it on them, but it happens. Right. And, and there are some people, especially if you've been a former athlete that have the ability to create X amount of force. And if your, your tendons are not prepared or acclimated to that type of force, that's when things break. And that's when you see a lot of people, you know, smoking their Achilles tendons or, or when they take off to sprint, they pop it or they rupture their gastroc or quad. I mean, I mean, not their quad, but everything on the backside. And that's why it's so damn important to do your elasticity. So slight left turn because the, where we run into issues is um, we either load it uh, too much from a volume standpoint somebody's okay they you know their schedule or whatever has had them running three miles on a regular basis the body's happy they decide i want to go for a much longer run on the weekend so they get with this running club and they go on a 15 mile uh run on a weekend and they come up with an achilles or a, a tendon issue maybe it's in the foot maybe it's in, in the achilles or whatever um that is having tried to go from zero to hero you didn't progress your volume and loading to the point where the, the tendon and the structures were ready to handle that. They're, they're good with three. They probably had five or six in them. 15 was way too much. Mm -hmm. um, and we do see that a lot where people, um, and I, I'll speak for myself, um, I don't sprint or jump much. Um, and so if I were to go play a sport that would have me sprinting or jumping, I know I'm at risk of doing something because my those tendons are not prepared for that massive elastic uh, thing that they're going to have to do when I and I'm unfortunately strong enough to hurt myself. So I can produce a lot of force, um, but not in that ballistic manner through the Achilles, through the structures that are going to get loaded during jumping and, and running. If I were to want to start taking on a sport that would have me jumping or, or sprinting, I would need to go spend some time, a little bit of jump rope, uh, a little bit of uh, just 50% uh, short distance, little runs to start loading those tissues in a way that they're going to get loaded on those activities. So a lot of times we give ourselves problems. And I think most people are familiar with some sort of tendinosis. Uh, we get an irritated, uh, painful tendon, um, tendinitis. Um, it goes by us. They kind of ballpark them all into now ten tendinosis uh, issues, <clears throat> some sort of inflammatory response, an unhealing area. Um, you can get sticky between the sheath and the tendon. You can get um, you know little tears or inflammatory responses. Um, and most everybody's heard of tennis elbow. That's a tendon response, uh, golfer's elbow, <laughs> people that, that, that get a, a, an Achilles tendon, uh, tendinosis. Um, a lot of times that comes from just those two things that I was talking about. Too much volume, too quickly, too much uh, ballistic load to, uh, without being prepared for it. Yeah, and, and, and 
there's there's a really good lesson there, right? So, and and I think the lesson is this: if if you're an individual that's a pretty strong guy, I mean, Brett's been lifting for uh, you know a very very long time, and his nervous system is wired in a certain way. And same thing, if you're a former athlete that's played at a high level, um, your nervous system is different. You know, it's just different, and you probably have the ability to blow parts off the car, and that that is a great example of just being smart with Brett. So Brett knows he's like, look, I'm strong, but my 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 connective tissue is not ready, right? So that is why we need to develop several different qualities when it comes to athleticism, right? Because if we only work on one thing, we'll get really good at that thing. But then if we try to do something else and our body's not prepared for it, um, it generally doesn't go well. So that's just a lesson to a lot of people, especially if you get a little bit older, right? Um, everybody thinks that they can do uh, what they did 20 years ago, but just because your mind thinks you can do it doesn't mean your, your tendons are going to cooperate and, and go along with what you're asking of them. So I think it's very important for people to understand, especially if you're a little bit older, um, don't assume just because you've been lifting or strength training or even swinging kettlebells that you can go out and do a max sprint and you're going to be okay. You might be, but you know, just use a little bit of caution and build yourself up over time and, and don't be a moron with it because, um, you know, if, if you go out there and, and torch your Achilles, can't blame it on anyone else but yourself because you didn't prepare your body. Absolutely. Yeah. The Uncle Rico effect uh, certainly man. kicks in. Uh, and that that's that's also an area where people bang up their shoulders is they end up at a family reunion or, you know, whatever situation with the kids and somebody wants to toss a football or, or, or toss a baseball. I They haven't been doing it. And, you know, somebody backs up and says, throw it deep. And bad things happen yeah. uh, because those structures are not ready for it. And, you know, same thing, jumping, same thing, running. It's usually that idea that you just didn't prepare. And then once you do have the inflammation, you know, tendons can be a little more stubborn to heal, not as great a blood supply. Um, they, they can be a little stubborn. They don't heal as fast as the muscle does. Uh, so um, you need to take your time. And if you do get a tendinosis, um, loaded eccentrics, isometrics, um, have really come to the top of the list from a, a rehab or a treatment perspective, uh, and work with a skilled physical therapist, uh, on that, uh, some of the stuff you, some of the stuff you can do at home, some of the stuff you're better off, uh, getting a professional to, uh, give you some guidance. Um, and yeah, just, just as an AT, uh, and somebody that that's, that's rehabbed various things. Um, cause I think what's interesting also, um, what we started learning with ACL rehabs, uh, was, yeah, we, I, I came up in a time in athletic training where we had accelerated ACL rehabs, where we were getting people back on the field at three months post ACL surgery, three to six months was considered a long rehab. Well, the risk of re-tearing was massive because yeah, the ligament heals within X number of weeks ballpark at 12 weeks when you do that sort of surgery or you do a tender tendon repair eight to 12 weeks uh healing time it can take a year especially specific to the acl it takes a year for that tissue whatever you put in to really become a quote ligament again and until that happens you are at risk it is not the same structure that was in there uh tendon healing same thing eight to 12 weeks, you're going to be quote healed. It can take six months or longer before that tendon actually remodels and uh, actually becomes as tough as it once was. Uh, so, you know, healing times need to be taken into account. 
work with your doc, work with the skilled physical therapist, know what you're doing uh, from that rehab or treatment perspective. You know, tendinosis are not the same as um, tendon repairs, right? So we're, <laughs> we are talking uh, apples and oranges, uh, but the, the way the structure heals, uh, the time that is simply required for that to happen, um, and just save yourself the problem right from the start and control your volume and pay attention when you get a little sore on the inside of the elbow because you've been doing a bunch of kettlebell cleans, um, do less, take a couple days off. And I'm, I'm going to say, I'm, we're going to get lots of responses from this. We're going to go viral because of what I'm about to say, lay some ice on it. <gasps> Brett's an idiot. He hasn't been on the internet. Nobody uses ice anymore. I still use ice. Um, <clears throat> lay some ice on it. Take a couple of days off. Let it go away. If you keep tugging on it and you really piss it off, it'll be with you for a while. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. Look, I, I'm going to give you three examples of real life. And, and one of them is myself because, uh, well, I'm an idiot. So uh, yeah, wiffle ball. I can't tell you how many summers... I have played wiffle ball with my friends and after a couple wobbly pops and just throwing, you know, every curve ball I can imagine as hard as possible. Uh, yeah, my elbow and my shoulder is jacked up for a solid, you know, one to two months. But, re you know, besides that, it's it's not too, too bad. But seriously, I, I've done that. I've gone out and just hung out. You know, you're feeling good. You're chucking the wiffle ball. Next thing you know, you're like, what happened? Yeah, well, you, I know what happened. You you know, we should have kept you on a wiffle ball pitch count because you, you threw way too many. So, I mean, that happens all the time. Another one, and this is not necessarily uh, pertaining to attendance per se, but bowling ass. I call it bowling ass because I can't tell you how many people go bowling and they essentially do like 200 single leg RDLs on one side and they irritate one side and they literally get injured because they did two to 300 reps on one side and nothing on the other. And they injured them themselves bowling. I always, it's funny because it's, I've done it. I know people that have done it. Like, how'd you get hurt? They're walking around like, yeah, it was candle pin gets me every time, you know? So it's like one of those things like bowling ass is a real thing. Painting. I've had people that have developed, you know, tennis elbow and uh, golfer's elbow just from painting a bunch of trim work with a paintbrush. And what did they do? They haven't been painting. They're, they didn't get on a proper periodization plan for painting. There's a lot of peace. But my point is, is that if you don't paint at all, and then you decide to paint three rooms over the course of a weekend, and now your friggin' arms pissed off, like there's a reason for that, right? You can literally do that with anything in your life. If you don't do something for a very, very long time, and then you do a bunch of it, it's probably not going to feel good. And depending on what you're doing, you could you could uh, get yourself into a little bit of trouble. And sometimes those tendons, especially like the, you know, the tennis elbow and the golfer's elbow, man, those things can take months to go away if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, screwdriver. Yeah. Somebody, you know, if you don't own an electric screwdriver uh, and you decide to put together a piece of furniture or build something and you're uh, trying to put a bunch of screws in. Yeah, you you can give yourself a, uh, an elbow uh, tendinosis uh, real quick. Yeah, um, right. Tendinop tendinopathy. Um, I'm saying tendinosis, but tendinopathy. I mean, at, at this point, they're kind of interchangeable uh, terms. Yeah. And if people want to uh, correct us, go for it because I'm not going to edit freaking anything, yeah. so it's not going to happen. So if you don't like it, 
And we used to break it down a lot more, you know, tenosynovitis versus tendonitis versus tendinosis versus, you know, and, and now there's a bucket term of just kind of tendinopathies. But um, to, so to step away from that, I, I, I definitely wanted that to be part of the conversation because hopefully as a cautionary tale, a few people will listen and say, maybe if I'm used to running three miles, I should just go run five and see how the body responds and progress towards the longer run on the weekend. Um, there's nothing we can do about the wiffle ball game at the family reunion. Uh, you're on your own uh, to mount, monitor yourself there. If you win, it's all <laughs> worth it. Right. Yeah. Uh, bragging rights are everything. 100%. Um, but, you know, to to step away from the cautionary tales and, and where tendon training or tendon being involved in movement uh, can go wrong. Um, what are what are you working on now to help people develop these qualities? Um, well, so there's kind of a progression, right? If you think about, you know, from the from the beginning all the way to the end to elasticity work, right? Um, you know, if I'm really getting to the point where I'm going to be honest with a lot of the athletes that I work with, um, I spend a lot of time um, on one foot doing, you know, calf raises and just strengthening the bottom of their feet. And a lot of what I do starts off with tiptoe walks and just walking around on their tiptoes in various parts of their feet. Um, I think what it does is it strengthens the feet and, 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 uh, it also, um, you know, allows the tendons and the, the nervous system to get a ton more information. So I think the first thing we need to consider is just how much exposure are you deliberately putting on that part of the body, whether it's the foot or anything else, because, um, if you're not deliberate about that, or you're not thinking about how it's going to impact you, you're going to be in a world of hurt. I mean, remember when Vibrams came out and everybody started running the same amount of miles and they're like, these things are terrible. And it's like, are they? So, you know, I, I think we have to consider sort of how we prepare an athlete from start to finish to answer that question. So again, what I'm looking for, especially if we're thinking, I'm going to use the calf and the Achilles um, as a very, very simple example, because most people understand, you know, how to do that stuff. But, um, you know, what I'm looking to do first is, is, you know, do they have the range of motion? in their lower extremities, right? Do they have full ankle mobility? And if so, can they control the entire range of motion, um, both from a plantar flexion and a dorsiflexion standpoint? And 98% of the time, the answer is no, they can't. They can, you know, they can maybe get up there with two tiptoes, but if you see a lot of athletes to try to drive way high up on the ball of their foot with one, you know, on one side and really get super high, if they can hang out there, it's not for very long. So I, I think for people, we need to try to establish that range of motion. So I always start with bilateral work just a bunch of two ups, two downs. And then I go to two up, one down, and then I'll do some ISOs and then I'll kind of grease the groove. And then I'll do some like, almost like a fighter pull-up program for my athletes for like tendon work or calf raises. Because the thing I like about calf raises and or tendon work is a lot of the times you can grease the groove with it. You can do it in a very, very simple way. And I love that sort of descending um, rep that you can do. You can do, Hey, just do five, four, three, two, one. And then the next day do five, four, three, two, two. So it's a very, very simple way to get a lot of calf raises in there and, 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 and a lot of sort of uh, lower extremity-based work. So when you do teach them to skip, when you do teach them to push sleds, when you do ask them to express elasticity in their lower body, they, they have the strength there. And then we can start to put the whole entire thing together because the tendons will respond. They're, they're definitely going to respond, but you have to be strong at the same time. So I build range of motion, strength throughout the range of motion, and then we'll add a little bit more dynamic higher amplitude drills, but all along I am doing, you know, light ladder drills are actually really good, light jump rope. And, and the big thing is, is, is uh, volume and amplitude. 
because too much too soon, it's it's like getting bowling ass or wiffle ball shoulder, right? It's 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 not gonna work. So I think we have to be very, very smart with how we program the volume and the amplitude. Because at a very, very low level, I wouldn't worry about foot contacts. But if you are getting to the point where you're really hammering your elasticity and your plyos, then you may want to start looking at total sort of foot contacts per training session or weekly. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, because I've, I've <laughs> dove into that world and anyways, that's, that's another podcast. But point being is if you're going to train purposefully the, the tendons from a performance standpoint, that's how I would go about it. But now Brett, you, you're an ATC and, um, you have a, a little bit of a different background in education than I do. Um, there's some pretty cool ways that if people do have these, you know, golfers, elbows, tennis, elbows, these Achilles based issues that we can really get some good rehab out of it. And a lot of it is based off of the research of isometrics and uh, eccentrics. So, uh, what have you heard on that? So fortunately I haven't had to be clinical in about, uh, 20 plus years. So I just know what I'm reading and, and seeing other people, uh, do, but you see things like, um, the Spanish squats became very popular. Um, where you've got the band behind the behind the uh, top of the calves, and it's connected to something in front of you, and you're squatting and and sitting back against it, so we're loading the quad tendon uh, significantly uh, in that uh, motion. Um, you see the Nordic uh, hamstring curls, where we're and this is more for hamstring strain prevention, but would have play in a in a hamstring um, tendinopathy uh, as well because you can get an irritation of the uh, attachment at the um, uh, sits bones and um, so you know that's a that's a heavy eccentric component um, so with the spanish squat you see slow concentric uh, or sorry slow eccentric isometric holds um, and obviously you got to stand up. So there's still a concentric component there. Um, with the Nordics, you see more of a, um, definitely a, a eccentric component. Copenhagen plank, good isometric adductor. Um, you know, the, the, I don't know where the stats are now, but at one point, the dreaded sports hernia, the, uh, formerly known as athletic pubalgia, um, which pubalgia is most often associated with, uh, pregnancy. Uh, and since a lot of 18 to 24 year old guys were probably not pregnant, um, athletic pubalgia turned into the dreaded sports hernia, which seemed to be epidemic uh, there for a while. And uh, I don't know where the stats are on at, at this point, but um, you know that that's a that's a tendon uh, and uh, attachment issue that was happening uh, in between the uh, flexors of the hip, the the psoas and and things of that nature. Um, and, and really getting some irritation there uh, in that the uh, pubic symphysis and in, in, in the pubis. So, um, but, but what we've seen this with this um, uh, moving towards Copenhagen planks, Nordics, um, Spanish squats, um, there's some there's some really good strategies that are in uh, to to work with these. And um, you know, dose makes the poison. So you always start with a low dose, see how the body responds, um, and then add if needed. Uh, if we're trying to break through a, if you have gone to the point of irritating a tendon and creating this inflammatory response, again, a little different blood flow, a little different structure uh, to the tendon, um, go see somebody. Yeah, <laughs> get 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 some treatment um, and and work with work with a professional to to get that dealt with. Um, 
on very surface area, um, you know, anti-inflammatories, um, Advil, um, Aleve, things of those nature, ibuprofen um, and naproxen. Um, there's also the Voltaren creams. Uh, and so with the tendon that's very close to the surface, um, there is an argument to be made for those creams uh, actually maybe penetrating enough to, to make a difference in, in those areas. So there's a continuum of things there. You uh, helping with the inflammation, loading it from an eccentric or isometric perspective, um, and just being smart about what you're doing, working with a professional. No, absolutely. And I think one thing to consider here, because I've had some, you know, I've had some elbow stuff before doing bunches, you know, a bunch of pull-ups back in the day. And uh, I've, I've damaged my body enough to uh, know how to rehab a lot of these things. Um, and uh, here, here's one thing I will say, um, when you are, you know, working with, with, if you are a personal trainer and you are trying to use some of these strategies to help someone, just make sure that they have a clear diagnosis and they're cleared for physical exercise. And, and it, it's never going to hurt to talk it over with, you know, a clinician, but, um, here, here's a couple things to consider. Like Brett said, the dose super and super, super, super important, but also you have to walk the client and or patient through the process. Meaning the first one to two sets are going to feel like crap. That's how it always works with, with tendon stuff. The first one to do sets, it's gonna, it's not going to feel that good. It's going to be sore. It's going to be achy. That is why you have to be very, very low with, with your load and volume, because it is not comfortable. It's one of those things. It's going to probably feel a little bit pissy and a little bit worse before it's going to feel better. And also within the next day or so, it's going to be, it's going to be a similar process. You went and you put a lot of load on this tendon on purpose. It's going to have it's going to go through its its entire process of inflammation, healing, et cetera. But you deliberately loaded that tendon. So you have to you have to give it a little bit of time to respond and do what it does and then rinse and repeat. So if you are going to do those 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 exercises that are going to target those tendons, make sure that you go low and slow. It's like smoking a brisket, right? But also give yourself enough time for it to heal before you go after it again. This is not something that you're going to hit every day, right? I mean, there are certain exercises depending on uh, what a clinician says, but you don't want to hammer these things hardcore every day. Introduce a load, see how you feel, give it a day or two, make some notes, rinse and repeat. I mean, it's, it's that simple, but you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. And one more thing I would just say is it's it's within the same sort of conversation though, is don't throw a thousand exercises at it for your tendon throw one and just see how you respond. Because if you throw two at it, how do you know which one made a difference? So do a little trial. That's, you know, you know, test your hypothesis, right? It's, it's science. I mean, why don't you just go ahead and see how it goes? So try it, pay attention, make some notes down. If it works, cool. Keep doing it. If it didn't, maybe you have to try it a few more times or eventually if it's not working, go elsewhere. So it's, it's really very, very simple, but just use some common sense and some patience in the process. Yeah, I think, and to the to the whole idea of energy storing, um, and and we see we see people, uh, elite marathon runners, who their energy, and they've they've done studies on this. Their energy expenditure does not match the output that they achieved. They were they were being super efficient and really using that kind of st stored and, and elastic energy to propel themselves way more than muscular effort. And hence the difference between the the output versus the the performance. So there's some people whose structures uh, are set for energy storing. 
and and being springy, right? Um, to use the uh, just a, a very basic term for mm-hmm. it, and and I think we've all seen those athletes uh, when when they run around that it it's like watching uh, this, you know, uh, nature scene with an antelope bouncing through the through the, the plains and just like how did how do you do that? Um, not surprising that antelope's got a good trainer. Exactly, uh, not springy uh, on this end of things. Um, I, so you know, I was never uh, the best with jumping and running and stuff. But um, there's <laughs> that would be scary. Um, but yeah, I I think we see people that uh, that they naturally lean into this quality because their bodies are just kind of uh, designed for it. They picked their parents well, and the g- genetics uh, came came through for them. The um, the folks that aren't as springy um, tend to, you know, people tend to self-select into different sports. Um, most of the springy people find things where being springy is is a benefit and other people learn to lift weights uh, like <laughs> me. Um, so uh, but, you know, if you look at the FCS and you have energy storing and energy energy absorption that is tested within there. And that some of the triple hops and things that are now popular from a testing standpoint, they're they're evaluating, they're looking at that elasticity component and how well do you store and release energy uh, within the system. So this is a this is something you can set a baseline for that you can test. Um, and <clears throat> I'm a big fan of knowing that I actually need to do something, uh, not assuming that I need to do it. There's ten there's ten qualities. Well, which one do I need to work on? Because working on all 10, not the most efficient way to address it. Um, so, you know, this is something that can be tested. This is something that you can set a baseline for. Um, and, you know, if you try some strategies and the springiness doesn't seem to be coming along, maybe they're just not springy. <laughs> I mean, right. I, I hate I hate to say, it. can you improve it? It's like speed. People will be like, oh, you're, you're born faster. You're not. Eh, you can get faster. It doesn't mean you're going to be Usain Bolt and you're going to be running for championships, but you can get faster. You want to um, optimize so your all, genetics. Yeah, these are all trainable qualities to what degree depends on the individual. Um, but I, I think, you know, calling this out, um, looking at controlling your volume, controlling your amplitude, having smart progressions, um, paying attention when something gets sore so that you can let it heal and not let it become a tendinopathy. Um, boy, if, if a couple people hear that message and it saves them some some trouble, uh, I'll be really happy. Yeah, and 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 one last thing uh, I will say about elasticity work, um, especially for older individuals, is um, if you start to incorporate this stuff into your program, uh, you may or may not know if it's making a difference. But here's one thing I will tell you: if you've been doing it for a while and you take a couple weeks off. And then you start to do it again, you're going to notice it's just a little bit not there. It's going to be a little bit slower. It's going to feel like you're stuck in a little bit more mud. And that's going to be the main difference. So it's going to sneak up. The adaptations are going to sneak up. And you may not even notice a difference until maybe you move away from it. And then you try it again. You're like, wow, it actually did make a significant difference. So I, I've noticed that with myself as well. But um, yeah, I mean, we could talk about tendons all day, Brett, because that's, I mean, we're big fans of tendons. Let's be honest. Well, I, I, I think life would be really tough without them. 
Uh, you know what? And I think we're going to stop the podcast at that right there. So guys, look, life is better with tendons. And uh, that's all we got for today, fellas. But uh, listen, thank you guys so much for listening. It's another episode of the Minimum Effective Dose podcast. Do us a huge favor. If you enjoyed this podcast, give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. And we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, everybody. Coach Mike here. Thank you so much for your support. We truly appreciate it. If you could do us a huge favor, please give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. And also, please share this with your friends, colleagues, teammates, and fitness enthusiasts. Thank you again for supporting the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.